Uh, well, I just want to offer just another quick welcome. Uh, I have the privilege and honor of introducing our, and brace yourselves, the lights are getting ready, come on. I have the privilege and honor of introducing our guest speaker this morning. So if you would go ahead and come up, I'm going to pray for you real quick before we get started. But this is my friend, Charlie Heller. If I say hello, Charlie. And uh, her wonderful husband, Brad, over there. And then they have several kids running around different places. There's, yeah, I see. Waving in the back there. So Charlie is the family life pastor at our sister church in Bloomington Normal. And so we just thought it was a great chance. We're trying to intentionally build a relationship with our sister churches. And so we just wanted Charlie to come and, and bring the word to us this morning. Uh, and I'm sure she'd love to meet you afterwards. But right now, if you would, let's just pray a, a quick prayer. And then Charlie's going to preach up a storm. So Jesus, I just thank you for Charlie and Brad. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for uh, the the many, many years that they've just faithfully served you, uh, sometimes in the background and sometimes up front. But regardless, Lord, they have said yes to your invitation over and over again. And we're blessed that they're here with us today. And we just ask Holy Spirit that you would just come and uh, bring your anointing right now as Charlie uh, brings the word that, that you and her have prepared together. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's all yours. To be here this morning. It's been a while since I've made a trip to Peoria. Um, <laughs> um, just to add a little bit of background, so I, feel, I always like the get to know you things. So I hope you do too. Um, but as Matt said, like I'm married to my husband Brad, um, Dr. Brad Heller. We like to throw that out, it's new. Um, <laughs> Um, he recently completed his PhD, so we were excited about that. Um, I have four boys. I have Micah in the back and Caleb and Mason and my little four-year-old Samuel is playing in the back room. So thanks for having that for him today. Um, and yeah, and we have been part of the Bloomington Vineyard now since it began, um, which has been a while now. <laughs> it get, I get lost in time. I have a, a vineyard background. My husband and I actually attended the Urbana Vineyard um, since 2005, and then felt the felt the leading for a couple different reasons to go to Bloomington. And um, my ongoing joke is that if you volunteer in the place long enough, you're you're just going to get hired. So <laughs> eventually, they did make me the family life pastor. And so, um, so it's been a blessing. Like it's been exciting to see how the, this journey, um, and be in the vineyard family for so long. So I am excited to be here. Um, I was excited when Matt said we were talking about parables and things like that. I like stories. Um, truth be told, I actually used to feel a little nervous about like when I would preach, I would tell too many stories and, you know, I thought, oh, no, that maybe that discredits me. Maybe I talk too much, like, in stories and not enough on the Bible. And then as I was kind of doing this, it was like, no, wait, Jesus taught in stories all the time. <laughs> so I no longer feel bad. Um, I'm a storyteller, and I'm proud of it. Um, it worked for Jesus. It works for me. Um, so guess what? It's story time. <laughs> all right. So first story for you here today is I want to tell you about a time when, you know, I said I had four boys. Well, once upon a time, we were a family of four. We only had two boys, and they were little. Micah was about three. Caleb was one. Um, and we decided to take a fun family trip to a local apple orchard where we lived. Um, 
and have just a fall day of fun, right? Like we like to do that. You go and you have the donuts and the apple cider and pick a pumpkin and that kind of stuff. So we were excited to do that, and we went. We went with a group of friends, like so there were other families with us, and set off for a really good day. The weather was amazing. I think it might have been like a three-day weekend, so it was busier. It was crowded, really, really, really crowded. And, you know, we do the things, right? We go and we take the pictures and we pick the pumpkin, and we get to like this spot. I don't remember why we were paused, but we were kind of like taking this break in the central area. And all around were different entrances to like play areas or um, the corn maze, things like that. And, you know, maybe some other kid had to go potty. I don't know. We were all stopped and waiting for a minute. What happens is I take that moment. I look around. I look at my husband. I say, where's Micah? And all of a sudden he looks at me and he looks around. And we both realize we don't have eyes on Micah, our three-year-old son. And so you know, you're kind of like, okay, don't panic. We look at our friends who are around. We're like, hey, who has Micah, right? Because maybe he's just with one of our other friends, you know, with their kids. And everybody kind of is like, oh, we start looking. Nobody has eyes on Micah. And so the panic is like building a little, right? Like, okay, what just happened? And, you know, so we kind of start looking in some of these nearby play areas and we don't see him. And it's crazy busy, like so crowded, right? (laughs) And we're like, okay, I don't see Micah. And the panic is building now because I don't know how long it was, but it felt like an eternity at that moment. Like if you don't lock eyes with your child in the first three seconds, then it's like panic mode all around. Um, So it's like, okay, like everybody's kind of looking, you know, all the other parents and like, you know, we're like, who has this kid and this kid? Make sure all the other kids are there, right? And it's like, okay, I don't see Micah. I don't know what to do at this moment. Like we've just looked. So I make my way to the front where there's like a little store area and I know a girl who's in working in there as a cashier. So I'm like, I'm trying to be calm, not panic. And I'm like, hey, have you seen Micah? And she's like, no, like, why would she? She's working the cashier. No, of course, a three-year-old didn't wander up there. Um, but I, I felt like that got the ball rolling. She was like, okay, I can sense that this is like not a good situation. So she begins calling somebody higher up over And somewhere in that time, like I walk outside the the building there and my son Micah is with the worker, one of the workers there. Some mom had brought him forward. I don't know. He does not remember. We, We talked about this. He doesn't remember why, like, or how he got up there, but he was with someone. We were reunited. And it was like in that moment, it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) This is my son. Like I lost him. I lost my son. And it was so scary And as he remembers that he just wanted to go play somewhere. So he did wander off into one of the play areas. Um, (laughs) And it was terrifying, right? But that sigh of relief, that, that feeling when we were reunited was amazing because it's scary to lose your child. Now, fast forward a few, you know, or a little ways. Um, Now my son Micah is five and my son Caleb is three. And we've added a new one in the mix. We have an infant son, Mason. And we decided to take another family fun day to the orchard. (laughs) Great fall day. This time we went with a couple of relatives. And it wasn't as busy. But on the way there, we're kind of remembering what happened, right? And so I'm coaching the kids in the car. And I'm like, hey, guys, remember that time Micah got lost? We don't want to do that again. So what do we need to do? You guys should have eyes on mom and dad at all times. If you don't see mom and dad, you're not in a good place. You're not in the right place. 
you guys keep eyes on us at all times. And we're coaching them through this. And it's not that I wanted to put all the responsibility on them. You know, like, of course, I'm going to watch my kids. They're little. But I had to, like, find some way to help, like, you know, like, no, we don't run off. We all go places together. You have to see me, right? Because I'm the one who's taking care of you. So we have that conversation. We get to the orchard. We do the things. We take the pictures. We get up from taking pictures. I'm probably adjusting, you know, whatever. Like like I said, I have an infant son. And all of a sudden I look around and I say, where's Caleb? <laughs> so for the second time, I have now lost a three-year-old. <laughs> and we didn't see him. And the panic was much less um, because, you know, we didn't, it wasn't as crazy busy. And, okay, we had done this before. And I was like, okay, it worked out the last time. It's going to work out this time. Sure enough, Caleb was just in one of the play areas, and we found him pretty quickly. But once again, it was like, hey, did you see? You didn't see us there, did you? So what does that mean? You know, you're re-coaching them. And it was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but the relief you feel when you find, you know, you find, like, if you're a parent in the room, like, Hopefully, I don't know if you've ever lost your kid, right? But you're all feeling it now, right? The anxiety that comes with, oh my goodness, I can't find my child. And if you don't have kids or if you've never lost one, good for you. Um, <laughs> good for you because that's winning right there. No. Um, but you've probably lost something, right? Have you lost your keys or your phone or your wallet? Something that you're like, wait a minute, I don't have this. Maybe even a pet that's ran away. That's pretty, you know, you know the feeling of losing something and missing something that you're like, wait, this is a part of me. And, you know, depending on what it is, we kind of talk ourselves through it, right? Like we talk ourselves through the, um, you know, it's just a phone. I can replace that. But there's things on the phone that sometimes can't be replaced. Like if you have pictures that aren't backed up or, you know, contact information, but you know the relief when you find the thing, right? You're all feeling that now, right? <laughs> you can all track with me a little bit here. And so I think it's interesting to point out, like, we probably all have stories of losing something or maybe someone, in my case, <laughs> um, or, like I said, a pet or something. But I think it's interesting to point out that there is something to be said about that feeling of finding something that's lost, right? I think that's something Jesus wants us to pay attention to today because he himself was so, thought it was so important to talk about the loss that he told three stories about it in Luke chapter 15. And that's where we're going to be today um, as we dive into this. So let me just pray again as we jump into the Bible. God, thank you so much um, just for everything, for, for caring about the lost, and God, help us to see why this is so important today. Help us to have our eyes open to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're following along in your Bibles today, we are going to be in Luke chapter 15. Um, I'm going to probably just use my notes, but um, it's important to set the scene a little bit because in Luke chapter 15, the first couple of verses tell us what's happening. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here's the scene, right? Jesus is getting ready to teach. And who is gathering? Who is there to listen? It's the tax collectors and the sinners, the people who are considered the outcasts, 
the people who are typically not welcomed anywhere else. And it doesn't say that the Pharisees were gathering around to listen, but I imagine, based on this context, that they're within earshot because they wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, but they wanted to hear about it for a different reason than these other people. See, the tax collectors, the sinners, those people, they're sitting at Jesus' feet ready to listen, probably because for the first time they're being talked to instead of talked down to. Right? All the time they get condemned and judged and harsh words. You know, they're not well-liked people for a lot of different reasons. But they want to hear what this man has to say. And here are the Pharisees, the people who have are usually the ones condemning the tax collectors and the sinners. And they are are disgusted that Jesus would even entertain them. Why would you teach them? So they're not going to lower themselves to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to what he has to say. But they're going to stand there because they want to hear it. They want to keep themselves high and mighty. They want to keep themselves in a place where they can judge what's happening. And so, so yeah, so I I imagine that they're still standing there listening, even though they're not going to act like they're listening. And so Jesus begins telling these parables, right? Like now we have the scene, now we know who he's talking to, and he starts telling stories. And I'm not going to read them all to you today, but I am going to start paraphrasing a little bit. So the first one he tells is the story of the lost sheep. And the lost sheep, what he says, hey, imagine you have a hundred sheep, right? One of them runs off. Don't you leave the other 99? Don't you exit and go find that one? Now, a sheep metaphor is something that a lot of people could relate to at that time. (laughs) It was important. There were a lot of shepherds. That was like their livelihood. They, you know, so they could understand like, yeah, I'm going to go find that sheep for a lot of different reasons, right? It was important to them. So yes, the 99 is here and we know that the 99 is there and they're all safe and they're all in their spot. So I'm going to go leave and find that one because he's out there alone. He's on his own. He's unprotected. He's you know, there in case there, there could be a predator, there could be something that gets him. He's on his own. He is no longer protected. And so they understood this. And so Jesus says, yeah, you go out, you find the lost sheep. And what happens when you find that one? You breathe that sigh of relief. Oh. You bring him back home. All the herd is together again, right? It's that, yes, I found what was lost feeling like I've got it back. And so now that he's got their attention with that, he says in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So it's not that the 99 aren't important, but that one that's lost is important, and we're going to go find it, and we're going to make sure he stays put. (laughs) So then he tells a story about the lost coin. And he says, a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, carefully searches everywhere, right? When she does, what does she do? She rejoices. She's excited. Have you ever lost like cash, you know, like a $20 bill? Are you going to just leave it? I mean, maybe they're like, oh, it's just 20 bucks. Fine. But you know, you feel it a little bit. That's 20 bucks. You're going to search. You're going to look under the couch cushions. You're going to clean the house. I don't know. Whatever you need to do to find that cash that you lost, you're going to find it. Why? Because it has value. It's valuable. And when it's gone, it's gone, right? Like 
you know the value of $20 or $100 or even $5. You want it back. And in verse 10, he says, Jesus says, in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So already he's getting their attention. He's talking about things that have value, right? He wants them to get that idea. We rejoice when we find things that are valuable. We rejoice in that. And then he goes into a longer story, which, you know, if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard, you've heard it titled The Lost Son or The Prodigal Son, um, whatever the case may be. But it's not just about one son. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit more today. So in verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got, all to, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So I'm going to pause right there. So first of all, the father didn't just give the younger son what he asked for. He went ahead and divided it between two because it says he divided the property between them. So assuming he divided it out. So the younger son is like, great, I have what I want now. I'm going to set up on my own. Why does he do this? You can speculate a lot of different things, right? Like, this is where our mind, like, it doesn't say in the story why he did it. But we all know, like, there's times when we want to do things our way. We think we know better. We don't want to live under someone else's authority. And so we just decide what we want to do. And so he sets off with the money, with what he has, and doesn't make very wise choices, right? Like his life is about instant gratification. So his not wise choices, he's kind of losing everything. And then what happens? Always some circumstance that's out of our control, like a famine. And he really hits rock bottom. And so in verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. Wow. And they began to celebrate. It's a party. What just happened? (laughs) This son was preparing this I'm sorry speech the whole way home, right? He's like, okay, I've totally failed here. This plan did not work out so well. I've lost everything. I'm desperate. I want to go home. 
but there's no way I can show my face at home, right? He felt shame. He felt, you know, like, okay, I'm a disappointment. There's no way they're going to accept me back in the family. And so he knew his best bet was to come back, humble himself, and live as a servant as opposed to just staying out and starving to death. Like that was his only shot. And so that's what he was expecting. And he was working probably the whole way, thinking of his I'm sorry speech and, you know, practicing it maybe. But the second his father saw him, what happened? I don't even think the father was listening to the story. The father was like, you're home. I don't even care. He didn't ask him what he did. He didn't ask him how much money he had left. He didn't, you know, lecture him about the fact that he left in the first place with everything he had. He said, you're home. Let's celebrate. It was that sigh of relief, that joy that we feel when something is lost and is found. And that father felt it. And the son, you know, he went there thinking, I'm just going to be a servant. Because he left. And he forgot for a little while who he was. But that father did not forget. The father still knew that was his son. So although the son was coming back in a way that said, I'm just going to be a servant. The father said, but you're not a servant. You are my son. So the father never forgot the identity even though the son did. The father always knew he was missing a son. He had two sons. He was missing one. And now the one was back. He knew that the son left, maybe made unwise choices, but that didn't change who he was. So then, like I said, there's two sons in this. So meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, how do you think that older son was feeling? A lot of times we think, well, he was justified. Yeah, it's hard not to get the attention. I'm here doing all the work. Look at me. Um, I, you know, tried to be this really good kid the whole time and show you how great I am. But what was he missing here? This son had everything the whole time. This son was still with his father in relationship with his father under the protection and the provision of his father. He didn't lose anything in the process. And yet he doesn't understand that what he has had is better than having to deal with what his brother went through. His brother went out, tried it, lost everything, and came crawling back home. And this son, this older son, just has no compassion right now. He's not feeling it. He's jealous. And there's a lot of things you can speculate in this story. I like to sometimes go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Like, I wonder if the son ever even asked. Did the son ask to have a goat or a party? Like he'd say, hey, I'd like to invite my friends over. Did he ask or did he just, okay, I'll just stay quietly and maybe someday, like, 
you know, like the pity party. He was throwing himself the whole time. He couldn't see that what he already had was so much better than going through what his brother went through. He didn't see that it was worth celebrating that his brother had come home. He was mad. He was jealous. And the father wasn't ignoring him. The father came out to plead with him, to talk to him. He didn't leave him standing outside to sulk and be angry. He came and tried to talk to him, right? Like he didn't leave him alone in that. So even though this son was with his father the whole time, lived with his father, had what his father had, he too lost sight of who he was. He wasn't truly living as a son because he didn't see himself. He just saw himself as, I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to work my way. And then maybe one day I'll get noticed. And that is the part that I believe that Jesus was hoping the Pharisees would catch on to, right? Because there is this thing in us where we might think like, oh, my story is not as dramatic as someone else's. You know, if I've never been on the verge of death with a drug addiction, or if I've never hit rock bottom in some way and and had to be miraculously rescued by Jesus, maybe my story is not as great. Maybe people don't celebrate that as as much. But I got to tell you, there's something here. If you have been a person who's been raised in the church and known Jesus for a long time, that is something to celebrate. Like you've been in it the whole time. That's not like a slide against you. That doesn't mean you're not important. You're just, you are part of that 99, right? And so we often think that, you know, we lose sight of Jesus because he lose sight of us. But it's just like when my boys were getting lost and I was coaching them in the car and I said, keep your eyes on me, right? Keep your eyes on me. When we get lost, it's because we lose sight of him. It's because we take our eyes off him. It's because we look the other way to see what's better or to see where we're going. And you can do that, you know, dramatically like this son who took his whole inheritance and left and squandered it all. Or you can do it quietly and sulking like this son who stayed home. So like I said, you know, it's great. We celebrate. We celebrate when one person repents when one person who's been lost out there and doesn't know their identity or loses their way comes home it's worth celebrating and jesus really wanted everyone to know that right and that was groundbreaking especially back then because like i said the tax collectors the sinners they had not been told they had value so this was new information to them and there are people out there today that that is new information for there are people that don't know what they're worth And it's our job to help bring that to them, right? It's our job to invite them in, to say, you are worth something. You are worth celebrating. But we can't get stuck on our own. Well, I've been in church the whole time and nobody celebrated me. (laughs) Boo-hoo. You have everything right now. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus today, you're in. You're in. You're in the kingdom And if you can't rejoice in somebody else's kingdom breakthrough, then you're still standing outside the kingdom. You need to be in the kingdom, celebrating, rejoicing what was lost is found. Because we all get lost at some point or another, right? But Jesus does not want anyone to stay lost. He wants you to come home. He wants to celebrate. And he makes a way for everybody. 
He wants the people who have wandered away trying to live their best life to be found. And he wants the people who have maybe like been in the whole time. He wants you to realize what you have. He's not going to make you earn your favor. Instead, he will always remember who you are, even if you've forgotten. He calls you a son or a daughter. (laughs) And so there are still many who are lost waiting to be found. It's still urgent. It's still out there. And it's still something to celebrate when they come home. So just as we kind of wrap up today, I kind of want to just ask you to think about these things. Who do you identify with in the story? Who are you with? Are you part of the tax collectors or the sinners who were lost, who were out there? Are you like the son who squandered his wealth because he didn't realize what he had and needed to come back home and humble yourself? Because that's celebrating. Like, we celebrate that. When even one sinner repents, we celebrate. Or are you like the Pharisees in the story, or in the, you know, who were standing there in judgment, who want justice over compassion? Because that's not living as a true son of God either. You are so valuable that God gave his only son for you. The price has been paid It was Jesus. You have new life because of him. And so I'm just going to go ahead and pray, and I'll have you come back up. Um, Father, I just, I thank you for what you do. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus for us, that by his blood we are saved, we are healed We are valuable. God, you saw value in us, your creation. You said it was good. And so, God, help us to see it that way. Help us to know where we're at. God, help us to celebrate the lost that come home. Help us to seek them out, to go and find them, to bring them back, to help you, to to partner with you. And God, for those of us who maybe have been in that place where we feel like, why haven't I been celebrated? I've been, in your, I've been in your presence the whole time. Then God, help us to have a heart check. Help us to know that we have had you the whole time. That you are good. That you love all of us and have a place for all of us in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.